Hi, friends. I'm Ashley Kramer. And I'm Brittany Labby. And this is More Than a Season podcast. With the help of men and women across all sports and levels, we dive deep into the highs and lows of the sports industry. No topic is off limits as we discuss the struggles and stereotypes while celebrating the successes and community that comes with this lifestyle. So whether you're a coach's or athlete's significant other or just enjoy talking about sports, you are welcome here. Let's take a look beyond the season and get started with today's episode. Hello, it's is Ashley. Hey, it's Brittany. We are back with another fun episode. I like my little intro line. I think one day we're just going to throw you off and, you know, sing or something. Yeah. We're going to throw some random person in here for an intro. Yes. <laughs> Maybe one of the guys should do the intro sometime. That'd be so funny. That would be funny. <laughs> so what have you been up to? What's been going on this week? As if y'all are listening right now, uh, Brittany and I are in separate locations. We're both in Texas, oddly enough, but yeah. we are not in the same location <laughs> in Texas. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. We ended up being in the same area. So I am in Austin, Texas. I am here with Drew's family. They live in Austin. And so we came to visit them and then we're, we're going to the river next weekend for 4th of July. So we came a little bit early to spend some time with his family and just work and hang out at the house. So it's been nice. What what in, what involves this river trip? Because oh first gosh. off, what river is it on? What does everybody go to? So it's in San Marcos, uh-huh. the, the river at San Marcos. And so basically we they get like a big Airbnb and everyone hangs out there. We go one night to like 6th Street. So – we just pretend oh, we're in college. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then we float the river one day and then we have a pool at the house. So we'll do like a pool day at the house. So it's going to be it's going to be a weekend full of adventure. And we're actually going with his parents the day before to a house that they have. So it's going to be a long weekend of festivities long but fun yeah yes it'll be fun long but fun you know with the river i think it's so funny any type of lake or like river or when you're on a boat or some kind of floating thing i forget to drink water 100% of the time like yeah. i'm terrible about it and i remember one time we were on a lake like with some friends and i didn't i don't know what got into me i just didn't drink water i think i was just like so social that i was just like eh, like just forgot yeah. so it hit me so much later with the sunburn oh I know and then like the drinking on the river and then I feel like you get up from the river like you're fine on the river like you're floating because you're in water so you feel like cool you know and then you stand up at the end of it and you're like oh my gosh this is like hot I feel like crap I haven't eaten in like two hours and I need to go home so yeah we that's so fun. I haven't been on the river, but that's something that, you know, it's just one of those Texas things. You're like, yeah. oh, you go to the river and then 6th Street is a life of its own. If you're from Texas or you've ever been to Austin, Texas, you know that that's like a whole world in itself down there. Um, yeah, it's been crazy. there a couple times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing in Texas? Yeah. So we've been spending some time with my family. We always have to split time because since Carson and I's family are literally only like 30 minutes from each other, we always have to hit obviously both during our time off, but we are with my family right now. And I have been doing an overnight like European event for work. It's been crazy. Like this, whoever works night shifts, like if you have been listening out there and you work night shifts, hundred percent give you all the credit because my brain was just like mush. Yeah. Like I could not get it together. And 
I I know that that's like not your schedule, but we were going from like 2 a.m. to 10.30 in the morning. And so then I'd have to start my normal work day and catch up. So it was a rough few days, but I did do something fun with my family yesterday, but I was just telling Brittany, I went to this go-kart track and I got whiplash like from the track, which is so embarrassing because it's like, you're literally riding these like go-karts and you're on a track and my handle or my, I'm sorry, my steering wheel like locked up for some reason. I think it's like they had settings on it to slow you down, like to go around the corner and my steering wheel locked up. And I ran smack into the wall, like not even at an angle. It was straight on head first smack into the wall. So I have whiplash from a kid's arcade oh my and gosh. I can't turn my head left. So that's, that's the worst. Right when are you going to, uh, when, like, how long does that last for? I've never had whiplash before. Um, it feels like, uh, I don't know how long it lasts. It feels like, um, you slept funky. Like mm-hmm. my neck okay. like, has a crick, a crick in it or yeah, whatever I've you had say. Yeah, yeah. So that's what it feels like. But I didn't even win either. I was like, man, I went through all that injury and I'm like last place. <laughs> not even it's not worth even it. worth it. Dang. No. So you guys don't like you guys don't you guys don't split up in Texas. You go to the same house like you guys go together to one house and then together to the next house or with your friends or whatever. Yeah. So it's been interesting since we got married, we stay together. But when we were dating, we would split up. So like he yeah. would come like for a day and then go back home. And then I would go over there for like a day, but I don't know if it's because you're married or what, or is that, I don't know. Do married people do that? I'm not sure, but that's just kind of what we do. I know. Yeah. I just always wondered, I feel like people do things differently and obviously we live in different States, but I also thought about this, like Drew's never going to be with his family by himself. Like every time we go Mm -hmm. to see his family, I'm with him. But yeah, I go see my family all the time by myself, you know, because he is working. It's weird. It's weird when yeah, you're in this how, industry. Yeah, that's true. And then, like, I guess with football, too, like, we always go see our families without them. Yeah. And then when it's, like, holiday time, you go back. With together. them. Yeah. So you're with them yeah. with their family. So they're never really by themselves. That's with weird. Their family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whatever. That is very strange. I know. But yeah, that's where we're at now. And then next week we go to Cancun. But oh I'm a little gosh. nervous because the radar shows like rain every single day. So. <sighs> and it's raining here. It's like pouring here. I don't know if it's pouring there. I know. But. Yeah, it's pouring here too. But you know, nice and sticky. But we can definitely keep chatting. But I think we should share our episode. Yes. Um, what's going on this week. This one, we we have a like a whole different outlook on this one because it one, it's like our first soccer, you know, coach. I know that we had interviewed a women's soccer coach, but this is actually like a couple that she is the significant other of a soccer coach. So we had interviewed the coach prior. This is a whole new perspective. But on top of that, she is a stroke survivor. So that was something that Brittany and I were I want to say I was unprepared emotionally to be able to handle it because I have never heard a stroke survivor's story the way that I had heard hers. So to me, it really hit me. Like afterwards, I had to sit down and like (laughs) talk to Carson. I was like, we just take so many things for granted. It's a really powerful story. She is really, really inspiring. And her name is Jerry. And she is not only a stroke survivor and she's very young. She's only 32 she also is in pageants and she is a pageant queen and she has her last pageant coming up 
in a couple of weeks. So we're really excited to get to share her story and have everyone listen to her inspiring story, honestly. And yeah, I think I think with all that, it's just when you listen to her, you really just get a new appreciation because I, I always find it fascinating how people choose their perspectives after like a tragic moment. So she chooses to use this, you know, you could frame it as like a tragedy in some sense. And then she basically turned it into her own platform. And now she's like bringing awareness to it and doing so many things that are positive. Brittany and I both applauded her on that just because I mean, I didn't know very much about it at all. Like you hear all these things and you have no idea. But yeah, you all that are listening will not be disappointed. I think I came out with a way more humbled heart in a sense and more appreciation for even speech, like being able to talk or to pick things up and put things down like little things that you just don't even think about throughout the day. Yeah. So we're excited to dive on into this episode and we'll see you on the other side. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Ward, and I am Mrs. Ohio International, but more importantly, I'm a stroke survivor and the wife of an NCAA Division I women's soccer coach. Wow, that's a lot in one sentence. Yeah, you have that perfect. That's like an elevator pitch. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's pretty much my life at this point, right? There's no separating all the sports and the pageant and the working. It's all intertwined, so... I do believe that with pageants, I know there's a lot of prep work that goes into that. And I'm sure that you've Mm -hmm. had to have, you know, everyone does like coaching and they do the practices and things like that. So give us a little bit of a rundown. Like, how did you get into the pageant? All of that. So I actually started pageants when I was four years old. And I decided this is my sport because I'm terrible at sports, <laughs> which is the irony of marrying a coach because I'm all for sports and I don't even like sports. So it's kind of ironic, but it works well. Opposites attract, right? <laughs> so I started when I was four and I truly became my sport doing a few pageants a week, preparing every day after school and before school with lessons, um, interview lessons, speech lessons, walking lessons. I mean, there's a lesson for everything out there. So yeah, I've been doing them. I'm 32 years old now, and this is my last pageant ever. I'm done after this pageant. So it's really special to me. Yeah. How does that feel? Are you, are you excited for the next chapter? Are you a little worried? Like, how does that feel knowing that it's your last one? I'm pretty excited. I I think it's always bittersweet, right? I think my husband is super excited because of how much it costs. So I think he's extra excited about it, but I think it's one of those things where it's always an amazing opportunity. And especially now that I have the the story that I do and the outreach and advocacy work that I'm doing, it's extra sweet this time around. But, you know, there comes a time in which you want to move on to something different just because, you know, it's time. And so for me and my husband, it's time. <laughs> now, I think that's wonderful. I do want to know what was the hardest skill to basically achieve? Was it the public speaking and the answering the interview questions? Was it, I mean, for me, mine would be posture and walking gracefully. (laughs) I think it depends because you'll hear me refer to myself as Jerry 1.0 and Jerry 2.0 a lot. And so Jerry 1.0 had struggles with things like keeping my shoulders back and and ensuring that, because I'm really real, guys. It's 
I kind of the best and worst pageant queen all in itself, right? <laughs> like, I don't mind to like play in the river with no shoes on and catch fish and do things like playing with bugs in the dirt and planting. I grew up in the South, but I'm also the girl that, you know, wears six inch heels and a swimsuit on stage in front of thousands of people, right? So it's kind of like an oxymoron. But Jerry 2.0 has different difficulties, you know, learning how to speak again. This is a big thing for me. I really wanted to do one last pageant. And that was kind of my inspiration to learn how to speak and move and read and write again. This was my goal. And so that's where the bittersweet comes in. It's like I've been working for the past two years to learn how to do life all over again. And it's kind of simulation of all the events It is in this one evening and so it's jerry 2.0 has had different difficulties in 1.0 for sure when is this pageant so preliminary competition is july 23rd and final competition is july 24th and it'll be a live stream so if you guys want to watch you can actually watch it yeah Yeah, Yeah. that is awesome so you kind of mentioned a little bit that you had a stroke and your stroke survivor and Jerry 1.0, Jerry 2.0, we want to hear the full story of what happened and when it happened in your life to be able to give you this new platform to stand on. Yeah. So I actually had a massive ischemic stroke at the age of 30. So that was in October of 2018. And an ischemic stroke, I'm sure you guys know, but if any listeners do not know, that is when a blood clot is caught in your brain. Um, There are multiple different types of strokes, so mine was ischemic. I actually had multiple clots in my carotid artery, which is the main artery going to your your brain and your neck, supplying all the blood, and then I had multiple clots in my brain as well. So I, I had a headache for five days before my stroke. And I don't know if you guys are like I am, but we're always busy. We've always got so much going on. If something is wrong, we're just like, oh, you know, it's just a headache. We're fine. It's all good. Not a big deal. And on the fifth day, I actually left work early because I was like, I'm done. I felt so sick, so nauseous. And my husband was actually in season and he was in tournament season. And you guys know what that means. When you're in tournament season... It, that's all there is. There is nothing else in life. <laughs> that is what the role kind of rotates around. Mm-hmm. But he was home that night. He had just got home that day and was leaving again the next day to fly to Florida for a tournament. And so it was around 10 p.m. I was sitting on the couch and my husband was half asleep getting ready to to pass out for the early morning flight the next morning. And I actually felt a pop in the back of my head and I actually fizzled out kind of like the sound of fireworks. And in that point in time, I completely lost the ability to speak or move. And so after about 10 seconds, I was able to toss my laptop off my lap. And my husband was like, what the heck are you doing? Why are you throwing your computer across the room? And I tried to tell him that I was sick and that something wasn't right, but my words were all coming out jumbled and it was awful and I was stressed and I was worried. And we got to the hospital and they said, you know, you're having a massive ischemic stroke and we have to get you into brain surgery immediately. And I was like, what is even happening? <laughs> yeah, I do. I think that that is just so interesting with all of the just the lead up because a lot of the time you don't really even notice it. You're just kind of like, oh, it's just like another Mm -hmm. headache. And 
I think that, you know, I always wonder, was there anything in your family that led with this? Like, did you have any hereditary? Nothing. So it was just out of the blue, random. Yeah, that's crazy. Nothing at all. So they actually found out that my stroke was due to a carotid artery dissection from popping my neck sitting at my desk. So carotid artery dissections are actually the number one cause of strokes in people under 40 years old. And so, you know, a lot of people get them in car accidents or on roller coasters, on jet skis, or in some type of, you know, knee and neck jerking situation. And mine was actually caused by popping my neck. So it's little things that you never think could cause anything serious. Yeah, I I just really want to figure out more of like when you when you found out with all of that going on, did you basically your husband was he like, "Okay, let's go to the hospital. Let's go do something." What did he say? He was like, "Let's go." Cuz he was leaving yeah, the next he, day. He was. He was. You know, I think it's it's different being a coach's wife. You you oftentimes accept being on the back burner cuz it's what you sign up for. But man, when you need to be in the front and center, it's like they have a way of putting everything else to the side almost. And so for, I mean, he didn't even think for a second that we weren't going to go to the hospital or we had a game the next day. I actually thought myself that he had a game the next day. And I was like, what are we going to do? And he was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, don't worry about it. It's just a game, right? But I was like, it's not just a game. It's what you guys have been working toward for so long. So it's very special, but, you know, he didn't hesitate for a second. So once you got to the hospital and everything, they checked you out and you're feeling kind of funky and he was there with you, right? When he went to the hospital. So Correct. Once everything was checked out, what? how did they figure out that you had to relearn to speak? Like, were you trying to communicate with your husband and he was like, I have no idea what you're saying? Or how did that work? Yeah. So at first, when I went into the hospital initially, walked into the ER, I tried to put in my social security number and I didn't know what numbers were anymore. So not only did I not know my, my what my social was, but numbers didn't make any sense looking on the keypad. And that was the second I realized that something was really wrong. That was the second that it kind of clicked. This this is serious. I don't know what's going on, but it's the real deal. And so at that point, we actually went obviously into the ER and they sat me down. They did a CT scan and my speech was going in and out, but it makes sense sometimes. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it was slurring. And they said, we're going to have to transfer you to the next hospital to actually do your brain surgery. And so I said, okay, cool. My husband can just drive me to the next hospital. It's really close by. And they were like, no, your husband cannot drive you to the next hospital. Like you have to go in an ambulance. And I was like, no, it's really not a big deal. Like we'll figure it out. Like he can just hop in the car really fast. And they were like, no, seriously, you cannot go and I was like it's really fine and you're they like said, so casual mm-hmm. about this <laughs> you're just like oh, it's okay yeah. <laughs> well and I think I think when you feel safe with your husband and not with those random people in an ambulance you're like it'll be fine he'll take me and they just looked at me and they were like ma'am you may die and I was like oh okay 
So I guess I'll let the ambulance take me. That's fine. <laughs> He'll meet me there. And it's so funny how how strong other people are for you in that moment when you're super weak and super vulnerable. And my husband was really strong for me the entire time. And he's English. He's from England. And, you know, kind of a, a stern-ish persona. doesn't let a lot get to him. And he said that he bawled like a baby when he got to that car because it's just like the flush of emotions, finally just being able to like breathe for a second. But I actually heard my voice for the last time in my brain surgery. So I was awake during my brain surgery and I was talking with the neurologist who was inside of my brain at that time. And that was the last time. I just feel like that's <laughs> yeah, that's what you're like. He's just good, like up there, like it's a good crush thing, <laughs> having a conversation, just hanging out. You know, not not a big deal. Once again, this is this is a lot more stressful during that time, I promise. But looking back back at it now, I'm like, that's crazy. Like yeah. that, I don't know. And anyway, I'm not trying to make we light of that. Talking. That is like a big deal. But I'm just like, you're just so like, yeah, you just, we were just chatting. We were just having a little combo up there. Like, I know it's a big deal. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're, fine. you're fine. I was really freaked out at the time. But now looking back, I'm like, we were just like talking up a storm. But he was constantly checking on my knowledge, my coherence, my ability to answer basic questions. I remember, obviously, Donald Trump was the president at that time, and he asked me who the president was. And I was like, I have no idea. How do I not know who the president is? This is nuts. And he was like, it's okay. You know, it's not a big deal. We'll figure it out. And But in that surgery, I actually lost the ability to speak, move, read, and write completely. So, and my voice now actually sounds completely different than the voice that I had in Jerry 1.0 because I had a deep Southern accent. I'm from the hills and mountains of Virginia, about 10 minutes away from Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And so now I have more of a Midwestern-ish, English-ish accent because my husband was actually who mainly taught me how to speak again. So it's been quite the journey, to say the least. But five brain surgeries later, living the ICU later, I'm here. And so I'm very obviously thankful for that. That's fascinating. Like having a different voice. And it's amazing. I mean, how do you you remember your your old voice? Yeah, oh, well, I do. I do. And I think it's, I, I remember, obviously, it was a little more clear for me yeah. prior, like closer to my stroke. It's, it's starting to fade like memories do what it sounded like. I always say have a lot of recordings. My wedding video, obviously, that's kind of oh, yeah. touchy to watch yeah. sometimes because he sounds the same, but I do not. But I think you just find a new, almost appreciation for what you do have. I don't speak the same way I used to. I don't write. My handwriting looks like a kindergartner. Now it's really bad. And it's so funny that I used to hate the voice that I had. Like I hated how it sounded, especially on voicemails and on like videos and such. And now I'm just like, man, how ungrateful was I to hate my voice before when it was really fine, but 
I do have a new appreciation for my voice now, obviously. So it's been quite the journey, that's for sure. That's amazing. You're very well-spoken and you're very positive about the whole experience, I'm sure, as you have, like you said, a new appreciation for life in general. Mm -hmm. And is that kind of what got you into being an advocate? I know that that's kind of what you do now, right? Like that's what you're you're doing now full-time pretty much besides pageants. (laughs) Right, right. That is a two full-time yeah. jobs in itself. <laughs> I actually, when I was in, I had just returned from my first brain surgery and I couldn't speak at all and I couldn't move. So the only thing I could really do was move my eyes. And I was cognizant the entire time, obviously. So I just kind of looked around and I was like, this cannot be what my life is. Like I cannot be stuck inside my own body. I got to figure this out. I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do it. But I'm going to figure it out. And I promised myself then, if I can just learn how to speak again, which is, you know, they told my husband that if I survived, then I would be in a, almost a vegetative state for the rest of my life. So they didn't expect much from me. And so I obviously heard them talking around me all the time of like what state I'm in, what my brain activity is, et cetera, et cetera. But I was cognizant. I knew everything. And so I just, I promised myself at that moment that once I learned how to talk again, I would not stop talking about stroke. Whatever that meant, I would not stop. And that's why I am Mrs. Ohio, because people listen to you more when you have shiny hat on top of your head. And I just am shamelessly and unapologetically talking about stroke and getting the word out however I can, really. Honestly, it's not very well, at least to me, I am not very knowledgeable about it. Like, you, I know what it is and you know the different types of here and there, but still, I feel like there's so much more to learn. And I think that's wonderful that you are an advocate for that and you're using a platform because you could have easily said like, I do not want this title associated with me. Like this has been such a hard time in my life that I just kind of want to leave that behind. But I think that just shows to your character how wonderful and inspiring you are because you're just taking it and teaching others and educating and just making an appreciation. I mean, honestly, until you said it, I mean, I probably take my voice for granted. You don't even think about things like that on a daily basis. And so your husband now, and he obviously supports your platform and everything that you're doing. So what does it look like now? Like what's a daily go-to? Do you still do therapy? Do you do anything to keep all the skills up? And what does he do? Like you'll schedule. Well, coaching schedules are nuts. (laughs) There is no schedule to coaching. It is really a day by day basis. And I remember when we first started dating, this is how naive I was to coaching because I never played a sport, never had a desire to play a sport. And the first time that I went to visit him, he said, Hey, I have a recruit coming to town, just be at my apartment. And I promise that I'll be home at like five. I don't know if that was the time. I'm just using that as an example. <laughs> so 5 p.m. came around and he wasn't there. And I was like, how dare he stand me up? Like, what is this guy doing? So I, sassy me, texted him. And I was like, I'm leaving. You're not here on time. And he was like, no, please. So 
he didn't go back until like seven. He was like, please don't wait on me. Don't leave me. I'm so sorry. Cause they get lost on time. Right. And now I'm just like, you're going to be home when he's like five. So I'm like, okay, eight. He's like, I don't know. <laughs> because I, I'm just so much more used to it now because it's, there's no predictability in it really. Because, you know, when you have young lives in your hands, everything can go wrong. And so in a matter of seconds and things you didn't predict. So obviously he is a women's soccer coach at the University of Dayton. And I work actually in the hospital that saved my life. So I work there a lot. And so, you know, some days he's at practice at 6 a.m. And some days he's out recruiting for five nights in a row. Sometimes he's at camp for two weeks. So he's staying on campus. So there really is no schedule for him, but I work an eight to five, so I'm I'm golden. So. <laughs> You're always on yeah. that five p.m. time frame. <laughs> Listen, I know exactly when I get there and exactly when I leave. There's no question to it. Yeah, yeah we like to joke help. though. We like to joke though. We're always like when they tell you, we call it like. Coaching, coaching time, time yeah. is like you add it's you add like two to three <laughs> hours two to three hours to the time and you're like that's really what it's gonna be yeah <laughs> yeah when he says that he has a practice or something on Saturday because they always have pra- why not have practices <laughs> on Saturday right I just assume it's gonna be all day he's like I'll be home by 12 and I'm like okay so five <laughs> like, yeah. but it, it has felt a lot more independent to me I always thought that I wanted someone that was going to be home all the time. Who was going to be home when I got home? Who was going to like go on weekend trips every weekend with me? And now I'm just thinking like, I don't know if I would like that life. You know, I'd like Mm -hmm. a little time to actually miss him and do my own thing. And then he's back sometimes and then he's not others. And it's great. But it was a struggle at first. I can't lie. It, It was definitely difficult. Because I was like, why are 15-year-old girls, like, taking up so much time? How are they that needy? I don't get it. I feel like no matter how you get into the lifestyle, it always shocks you in some way or another. Like, if you're in sports or not in sports, like sports, don't, whatever, it always shocks you some way or another. So how did you guys actually meet? Like, how did you even get introduced to this life? It's actually a really funny story. And people are like, no, it's not. You guys didn't meet that way. So we actually met in the coffee shop. So I was actually living in Asheville, North Carolina, and he was living in Knoxville, Tennessee. He was coaching at University of Tennessee at that time. And I was in a coffee shop and I came into the, into the coffee shop and there was one seat available and it was on a couch next to him. And literally we just spoke in every day since that was our full story so it's kind of kind of crazy but it worked I guess yeah so here we are no that's the best story I love those kinds of things it reminds me of like a Hallmark movie or something you like take your chai tea and you're just like oh hey like next to each other that's actually what we had that is actually what we had is chai tea that is hilarious that's so funny (laughs) yeah no that's so funny I do want to know with everything, you know, with all the schedules and you're working, all these things going on, how do you guys make time for each other? Because you've got your platform, he's got his coaching. What do y'all do to meet in the middle? We kind of schedule time and both 
promise not to schedule anything at that time. <laughs> and anything that happens at the time is someone else's fault or <laughs> someone else's issue to take care of. But I think it, we have to be very intentional because otherwise it would never happen and stuff could always be happening. And so I had to learn not to be on my phone all the time when we were together mm-hmm. because for me, that was, it, it was very much a part of me. So I had to learn to be intentional about the time that we did have together, even if we were sitting on the couch, uh, to make sure that I was being intentional. We do try to to get away, but it's really hard when you have, they say off season, but we all know <laughs> yeah. that doesn't exist, <laughs> right? So we can't really do anything in fall. We also can't really do anything in spring. And then summer comes around, so it's camp. So really... <laughs> we can't do summer either. <laughs> so we had to plan it all out very strategically. But we we do always try to take a yearly trip to just reconnect and be together. But there's a lot of understanding that takes place. Yeah. I feel like you guys are on the same type of schedule that we're on with football too. Like it's about, it's the same seasons. And then, you know, summer mm-hmm. you get like a few weeks together and that's about it. And then you're back in it. But yeah. With with the girls that he coaches, do you kind of do you guys do anything for them like at your house or do they kind of look up to you? I feel like if if that was me, I would be looking up to that person's wife, you know, like that's kind of you you have a male coach. I had male coaches. I I played softball my whole life. So I always had male coaches, but you look to their wives. I don't know why, but you just kind of do. So do you have that relationship with them? I do. And it, it's kind of crazy because I personally, I couldn't care less about their sports. If you're a good soccer player, that's cool. But I really just care about them as people. Yeah, Like that's more important to me, how, who they are as people, what their development is. My background is people development. I'm a therapist by trade. And so you know, I care about them as young women, people learning how to do life, people making a lot of mistakes. So we have a lot of conversations of like, oh, you know, I never hear names. So I never get names, but a player did this. And I'm like, well, what is that player going through? You know, what's going on at home? You know, their grades are suffering. Why are their grades suffering? Like, can we have a bigger conversation about that? So I, I love them a lot. They're crazy. They're nuts. <laughs> but they're really sweet girls. And that's what I care about. And I think they appreciate that, too. I think they they like someone not just looking at their athletic ability. Because I don't care how fast they can run the beat test in. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter to me <laughs> as a person. For me, that's not, that's not a quality of who you can be when you're an adult, a full-functioning adult. I do know that when I had my stroke, what was really hard was being being away on my one year anniversary because I have a lot of PTSD mm-hmm. for my stroke. Just fear of it happening again, yeah. fear of being alone, fear of no one, like not being able to talk or call 911 or anything like that's a real fear. So Dean was away um, because he was in tournament season the next year. And they all actually made me uh, a montage video of all the players saying, you know, we're so happy to see you're doing so well. We're so proud of you. And the video itself is just really, really sweet. And 
So I think in a way, they probably look up to me, maybe more so now because of everything that Dean and I had been through and they've been through that journey with us, right? There's no separation again. It's, we're all one. And so they're special people. Oh, that makes me like want to cry. That's so sweet that they did that for you. <laughs> I love that you have that relationship. I'll send, I'll send you guys the video. You yeah. should see it. It's it's really sweet. I kind of want to talk a little bit about that PTSD because I feel like that is a true fear. And I think people that go through things like that in their lives, they, they have those fears. What have you done? Like what mm-hmm. kind of strategies or tactics have you learned to help you overcome that? I know it's probably a daily journey. It is for sure. I struggled a lot. Um, So I was in the ICU for a long time, and I was never alone. So I always felt safer in a way. And then getting home from the ICU, my husband actually didn't go back to work for a long time, for like a month, because he was just staying with me and taking care of me. I mean, I couldn't talk or eat on my own or open anything. I didn't have any fine motor skills. He had to bathe me, et cetera, et cetera. So I really relied on him to be an adult. And then the day came for Dean to, to leave, to go back to work. And I was like, Oh no. Like I went from being super independent. And like, I, I remember at the age of, age of five, I wouldn't even let my parents get food off the buffet for me. Like I had to get my own buffet food because I was that misindependent. And now I wouldn't even let my husband bathe by himself. I would have to sit in the bathroom on the toilet while he showered because I was too scared to be by myself. So I tried for weeks and weeks and weeks. It had to be at least two or three months. And I just couldn't get over the anxiety. I would freak out every second because any twitch or feeling or headache or anything, I was like, this is it. It's happening again. This is game over. And I would call Dean and he'd be on the, the side of the field. He's like, you're, you're okay. It's okay. Just breathe. Like, So I finally was like, okay, I'm going to have to go on the medication. I do not want to, but I'm going to have to. So I actually went on anti-anxiety medication for the first time in my life. And it's been the biggest game changer ever. I can function on my own. Not to say that I don't still have some anxiety around everything. But I think it's just mostly about not being afraid to to get what you need. And not being ashamed to get what you need. So if that's medication, then that's fine. And if that's therapy or coping skills, then that's okay as well. Yeah, I love that. I I have really bad anxiety and I've had anxiety since sixth grade. And I just came to the realization too that I had to get on medication. It was like one of those things where I was like, oh, I'm fine. You know, I've been dealing with this my whole life. Like, I think that's important to talk about. People don't talk about it enough. They don't say that it's okay to do those things. And it's, it's normal. And other people are going through those struggles too. You're not alone. And whatever you need to do to take those steps for you. And that's what you need to do. And that's okay. Yeah, I think there's always a lot of stigma around anything mental health or mental health related for coping. You know, I tried for a really, really long time to be okay, you know, with with the ability to be by myself and to drive myself. And I couldn't speak really. So there was a lot of fear around that for asking for help if I needed it, et cetera. And so I, the quality of my life after medication 
is almost back to where it was pre-stroke. And so I think that's something really important for people to know and to remember. And I'm here to say that I love my medication (laughs) because it gives me the life back that I wanted. And so I think that's okay. Yeah. Well, we love that. We really, we love everything that you've said and we appreciate you coming on here. We have one more question for you that we kind of wrap everything up with every single time we do these interviews. One thing that you could go back in time and tell yourself when you're just beginning this journey, what would you say? I would say that is okay to be needy at times and is okay to also be independent at others. I don't think there is a one set way of doing things. And I think that sometimes you can look up to other people in different phases of life and That doesn't have to be your journey. You can take what works and leave what doesn't. And there isn't one set way of doing things. So remember, it's a journey. It's always ebb and flow. There's never one straight line, unfortunately, or I would walk that line if it was available. But that's the beauty in it. That's the beauty in life, in coaching journey, in stroke journey, in life and learning to be independent again. It's just about keeping on and and trying your best. Yes, thank you so much for sharing. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure that we will have you on again because we just love hearing your story and we'll definitely keep up with the pageant. Yeah, we're excited. We're super excited for that. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your support and thank you guys for doing what you do because this coach's wife life isn't always the easiest. That's right. Yes. And Mm -hmm. thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on More Than a Season Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at More Than a Season Podcast for the latest updates. If you enjoyed this episode, please download, subscribe, or leave us a review on your choice of platform. See you next time.